welcome to another episode of Saturday, Saturday the 14th. 14th. Uh, I am Maggie. And I'm Maddie. And we're here to talk to you about horror movies today. We are here to talk to you about horror movies every day, though. So, I mean, yes, you can text us if you have our phone numbers at any point in time, and we will talk to you about horror movies. It's true. You can Facebook message us. If you want. <laughs> but today we are talking about one specific horror movie. We are. We're going to talk about The Orphanage, or as I like to call it, El Orfanato. Which is actually the real title of it the is, movie. Yeah. So, good, um, good idea calling it that. Yeah. This is a Spanish movie, and this is one of the first... Um, I guess we did uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which is foreign language, but not actually foreign because it was made in the United States. Uh, but this one is actually a you know foreign movie from another country. Uh, it is... You know, it was made in Spain, and uh, it's going to be great. Yeah, so like Maggie said, we haven't actually done a foreign movie before. Um, We kind of talked about Japanese horror when we did The Grudge because it was based on a Japanese movie, but we did do the U.S. version. Yeah, and, you know, as this this podcast goes on, we're going to try to focus more and more on expanding um, outside of the U.S. because, honestly, there is so much incredible horror... And it's a genre that everyone relates to. This movie is a killer example of just like a really well done horror movie. Oh my God. It will make you cry. It will make you feel afraid. Those are the two things that it will do. Oh my God. I was literally like, (laughs) well, probably watched the first half hour or so. And I was like, this really isn't that scary. And then there was like a scene where I was like, I am not going to watch. Like I cannot, I am so scared of whatever is about to happen. Yeah. There's a lot of, yeah, a lot of really scary stuff. And then also just like so much like sad stuff. Um, which we will get into, but uh, let's kind of talk through some of the people involved here. Yeah, so this was directed by J.A. Boyana. Did I say that right? I think it's Bayona, but I'm not entirely sure. Sorry. And it was written by Sergio G. Sanchez. Um, And it was, I think, executive produced by Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, there's some other people involved as well, and I know a lot of times we don't necessarily talk about producers. um, But you can tell that he had a hand in this. Yeah. It felt very reminiscent of Pan's Labyrinth in some ways. Yeah, it really did. It's very in line with the kind of work that he makes, um, and you can sort of feel his fingerprints on it, even though, you know, the idea for it came from somewhere else. um, And, you know, all of those themes and ideas were present before he got involved but it it definitely really matches up very well with the rest of his body of work and i also read that one of the reasons why bayona um brought guillermo del toro in is because he wanted more money and people didn't want to give him more money and so by bringing in um del toro he was able to double the budget exactly yeah and it was a pretty small budget um which we'll get to in a second but yeah guillermo del toro basically his name being associated with this movie got it made yeah that's you know um, so it stars Balen Rueda as Laura, who's the main character. And she kills it in this movie. She oh, is so, so good. good. Oh, my God. Heartbreaking. Um, and it also stars Fernando Cayo, Roger Princep, Mabel Rivera, Montserrat Carulla, Edgar Vivar, and Geraldine Chaplin, who is the daughter of Charlie Chaplin. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, she's the um, the medium who comes in. Oh, that's really cool. She was great. She was great. Yeah, that whole scene, I was like, why does she look so familiar? And then I looked up the cast later and I was like, I will oh. say her mascara like bothered the shit out of me. Yeah, I think that she had like little dots below her eyes. She did. Yeah, she like, had little dots in the right? center of below her eyes and it looked like a mascara dot, like it'd run or something like that. But yeah. I, I do think it was on purpose. It might have been eyeliner or something like that. But I was yeah. just like, it looks like she was like crying and then didn't fix her makeup it was very unsettling so as i mentioned getting guillermo del toro uh on board with this movie did increase the budget but it is still a super low budget movie. yeah it's only four million dollars which is unbelievable when you think about like 
I know that there's probably a lot of stuff that they managed to do cheaply, but like this isn't like a small concept movie. There aren't a ton of special effects other than like when that woman dies and doesn't like have a jaw anymore. True. Which was like weirdly violent. Yeah. Because nothing else in the movie was violent. That's true. Yeah. She is really the only. Yeah, I guess that's true. When you think about it, like it's just they do such a good job of being like the ambiance of it is really intense and yeah. it feels very realistic and I mean they also did the makeup for Tomas yeah and then when Laura breaks her ankle that was also a special effect type thing that's true but you don't see it close up really no so... they got a great location though because I feel like that adds a lot of oh, it feels my God. like value like it feels like it must have been expensive to do that there it was a beautiful house oh my god Bury I was me in that ready house. to move in I'm trying to get into a haunted house I really want to live in a haunted house Tim's on board it's gonna be good. Great. Yeah. But yeah, so this was made for $4 million, but it made so much money. Yeah, it made $78.6 million. Which doesn't <laughs> happen as often for like horror movies that are foreign. Yeah, and I, I wonder if Guillermo del Toro's name being attached also did that. I'm 100% he's very, sure that helped. Yeah, he's so recognizable in the United States because he has done so much crossover stuff. Um, but I mean, they mentioned in one of the interviews that I read that they did like $35 million in Spain alone. And then, obviously, it's been pretty successful in the United States as well, so... I mean, that's the same amount, almost, that Pan's Labyrinth made, yeah. too. Yeah, which is incredible. But Pan's Labyrinth was made for, like, six times the budget. Right, obviously. Uh, no, four times the budget, but still. Yeah. Pan's Labyrinth's a great movie. Would you consider that a horror? I think that it is a, one of those edge cases, kind of like Jaws, where it has horror elements. Yeah. But... Because it's also kind of a fantasy, and it's kind of a period piece. It's a lot of different movies all in one. I think it's a dark, scary fantasy movie. Okay, yeah, I can see that. And I think that dark fantasy and horror are kind of the same thing in a lot of... Because, I mean, when, once you start bringing in supernatural, whether it's, you know, horror or fantasy is like a thin line, you know? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Which this movie kind of skirts as well. Yeah. Sort of. So you want to get started on the uh, synopsis? Here? Yeah, absolutely. So we open... Um, in 1975 in Spain at the the orphanage that we are at for the whole time. Yeah, and there are these kids playing this game where they knock on a tree and it's one, two, three, knock on the wall is what the English translation is. Yeah. Um, and, and it's basically like red light, green light. Yeah, and so like people can move while you're knocking on the wall, but they can't move when you're not and you like have to turn around and like look at them right and they come up behind you and they try to touch you and whoever touches you wins yeah so they're all playing and one of the girls who's playing is this girl named laura she's the one who's doing the knocking yeah and so um during the play like during their playtime, the like one of the nuns or whoever is in charge of the place um basically calls her inside because she's getting adopted yeah and they so, talk about how all of her friends are gonna miss her yeah and it's sad, but she's going to have this but whole life. But it's happy at the same time. Yeah. And this is actually a really short scene, um, but we cut forward to when Laura is an adult, and now yeah. she has her own family, and they have just now purchased this old orphanage that she used to live in. Yes. And, and so it's her and her husband, Carlos, and their son, who's like seven, named Simone. And uh, she was saying she had like a really happy life here like yeah. she like a lot of times you hear about orphanages being like miserable places or whatever like you see a lot of that in film and television it's like, kind of like a trope but in this case like she has nothing but good memories here yeah so she's gonna reopen it and uh, bring disabled children in to live there and yeah. she wants to pass it along to another generation of kids and make it a home for them as well 
I was a little confused about the whole like opening it up to disabled kids thing because like they all seem to have families. Yeah. So she kind of mentions it when she's talking to Simone about it and she's like, they need a lot of attention and like they live so far away that they can't just go back and forth all the time. Gotcha. But then the other side is like when the kids come to play, it looks like most of them just have Down syndrome, which like not that that doesn't come with its own challenges, but like in terms of you don't necessarily need to be like you, you don't need to be sent away to live somewhere right. else. I mean, also, there were a lot more kids at this party than there were beds that she'd set up. So That's I think true. a lot of them, like, came with their families to, like, celebrate this thing opening. And not all of the kids that we saw were actually going to be at this house. That is a good point. Yeah. Because there are, like, probably, like, there are lots and lots of people there. Yeah, that was a big and only, party. Like, so maybe, like, six beds or something. Or something like yeah, that. that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So they move in and, like... Simon loves it. He seems like he's having a nice time, but he has these two friends, these imaginary friends that he's had for a while. Um, and his parents are like, should we talk to him about it? Like, is it weird? But they decide whatever, he'll get over it on his own. Yeah, they think that with the new kids moving into the house, like he'll his imaginary friends will be replaced with real friends. Exactly. Um, but him and his mom, so Simone and Laura go down to the beach because there's you can walk to the beach from their house yeah and there's like a lighthouse that used to be running and no longer is running and mm-hmm. so it's like a kind of cool spot and they go down and they they go into this cave right yeah and well simone goes in first and like laura follows him in eventually yeah and he's talking to someone in there and he's like i made a new friend and she's like okay we gotta go home she's like oh can he come play with me later and he's she's like sure i guess Whatever. yeah because he's obviously like an imaginary friend, but she like goes and looks at the area that he was hanging out. And anyway. there's no, there's one, no there. one there. Um, but as they walk back to the house, um, Simone leaves a trail of seashells for yeah. so that way his friend can find the house. Right. And so like things start to get a little weird. Then he starts talking about having this new friend named Tomas and he's like drawing pictures of him. Um, and like she finds a pile of the seashells on the front porch at one point. In time. Yeah, she opens the door and there's just like the, all the seashells that he had collected were brought to the front door. Yeah, it was super so it's creepy. Like a little bit weird. Like things start to get kind of weird. And then this social worker shows up. Yeah, and so it's this old woman um, who has like big thick glasses and white hair. And her name is Benigna. Yeah. And so Benigna is talking about how she wants to check in on Simone after the adoption and is asking some questions about him and Laura tells her that Simone doesn't actually know that he's adopted and doesn't know that he's HIV positive. Yeah. And they kind of dance around it, but you see like the file, but uh, Benini is like, Oh, well there's like new things to, you know, new ways to treat his illness. And she's like, get the fuck out of my house. Yeah. Um, Carlos, the husband is a doctor. And yeah. so like there, she's like, I know all this shit that you're telling me, like get out. Right. And so they're a little bit freaked out, but they're like, okay, whatever, that's fine. Um, and they decide they're just going to, you know, not worry about that. They're going to focus on the party that's coming up on the opening and all that stuff. So they're getting all that stuff ready, and they go to sleep, and then they hear all these noises. Or specifically, Laura hears all these noises. And so she goes outside to check them out, and they seem like they're coming from the shed nearby. Yeah, and so she goes into the shed, and Benigna is there. Yeah. Being super creepy with, like, a giant shovel. Yeah, it's... It's really gross and really creepy. And she, she gets chased away and she runs off. So they look around and they're like, okay, she's not here anymore. No worries. Her husband's like, listen, if she comes back, we'll call the police and we'll deal with her then. But like, she's an old lady. How much harm can she do? Yeah. And um, the shed they had been in was just full of old stuff from the orphanage. So I had like all the old beds and all of the like old equipment and stuff like that that was used there. Yeah. And so 
Simone starts to play this game with Laura. Yeah, the next day, um, this is a really cool little game. Yeah. And he says that his new friends have taught him a game where they will take like your treasure away. And when you find it, you get to make a wish. And so what he does is he she's like oh what's your treasure and he goes and he finds like his little box he takes it out mm-hmm. and it's like these gold coins he found in a park at some way yeah. some man had dropped and his in the box instead are his milk teeth yeah and he's like so where do you keep my milk teeth she, well first of all she's like what the fuck these aren't coins these are your teeth yeah. and he's like yeah yeah i know that's the point like where this do you the normally game. keep them and so they go to where the milk teeth are usually kept and, and sand yeah and then they have to go find where in the house there's sand right because it can only be in the house so it's not at the beach because at first she's like oh it's the beach she's like no no that's not the rules it has to be in the house so they go to this garden and they like dig through the garden and it's like pouring rain and they're just yeah. having so much fun running around playing this game together and it's so cute and so finally they find like a key and they're going around the house trying to find where the key fits and they find the key fits a drawer yeah that has the file that uh on simone that talks about him being adopted in his um illness and she's like oh shit and, and she's it, mad at him. She's like, why would you, you, this is for your father. This isn't for you. Like, you're not supposed to look at this. And, and the coins are in there. Yeah. And he's like, you aren't my real mom. Like, you guys aren't my real family. Like, like you've been lying to me. And he, he's throws, like, I'm going to die soon. Yeah. Like, it's really heavy stuff. And so they like sit down with him, Carlos and Laura. And they're like, listen, you know, you just have to keep taking these things. We we're going to tell you about it. But like. You know, we wanted, we wanted to, to talk, the right time. Yeah, we wanted to talk to you about it when you were a little older so you could yeah. understand fully. And he's like, well, what would happen if I didn't take the pills? Would I die? And she's like, well, you'd be fine for... It would take weeks for anything to happen. Nothing would happen anyway. Yeah. He's like, okay. But it's still, like, not really resolved. Um, and so they have this orphanage opening, right? And the kids are supposed to show up. And Laura and Simone get into this argument because he wants to show her Tomas's little house. Yeah. Um, she's like being like, hey, come downstairs. People are arriving. And he's like, no, I need to show you where like Tomas lives. And she's like, not right now. And he's like, yes, right now. And he like shoves her. She's like, cake falls, right? Yeah. He he pushes her. She drops the cake she was holding. And, and she, she like slaps him yeah. across the face. And then he runs off. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same, like shortly after that, um she goes looking for him and instead she finds like this creepy child yeah so she goes downstairs and is at the party for a little bit and she goes up and tries to find him um when he has not come down to the Mm -hmm. party and she's like walking around upstairs in the hallway and we see this kid who's wearing like kind of like a really old school outfit i don't know how to describe the outfit he's wearing it's like a a nightdress type thing yeah it's a little blue sleep shirt or and it's embroidered with the name tomas yeah and the kid is wearing a like sack over his head it's really creepy it's super creepy and he like shoves her into the bathroom and like slams the door on her hand yeah because he she's trying to take off she thinks it's simone Mm -hmm. like wearing this outfit that he found and so she goes to lift up the mask because she's like wait is this actually my kid and that's when he shoves her yeah um because he did not want her to take off that mask no and so she falls and she like falls into the bathtub and she hurts her hand and it's a whole mess she like rips her finger oh god that was like oh also very bloody violent that was gross um and so after that like she gets out and you know um Simone or Carlos comes and helps her get out with a bunch of other people from the party. And then she's like, well, I don't know where Simone is. So they try to go find Simone and she like sees the kid in the mask outside again, but like can't catch up to him. 
Um, and she thinks she sees Benigna at the party, right? Like, there's a woman. There's a woman who she thinks is Benigna, but, but it's, it's not. not. And so she's, like, running around taking the masks off of all of these other kids. Because there's a party, so people are dressed up. Yeah, she goes, there's this, like, this closet that she goes into. And mm-hmm. she, like, opens the door and things fall out. And she props him back up. And it's he's not in there. So when she's looking for him, she runs down to the beach. Like, maybe he went down to the beach. And she's running through the water. And she thinks she sees someone in the cave. Yeah. And so she's running um, to try and get to the cave, but she breaks her ankle. Yeah, along she like the way. trips on a rock because the tide is coming in. And so she's freaking out because she's like, he can't be in the cave because the tide's coming in. Yeah. And Carlos is like, it's not him. It's not him. There's no one there. And yeah. the police do come out and they search the whole beach, including the cave, and there's no one there. Yeah. Um, and so they talk to this woman, Pilar, who is a police psychologist, and they talk to her about Benigna. And Benigna's like, a suspect at this point yeah they think especially because it turns out there is no social worker named benigna right and so um they also think that it could be like a kidnapping because he is adopted and so it could be like a family like member of the people who he was adopted from so it could be like his birth mother or his birth father or like a cousin or something like that yeah kidnapped him so unsatisfyingly six months go by there's like a time jump but first that night when they're back in the house. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, and so they go back to the house, and they're there, and they hear, like, banging inside of the Yeah, walls. they wake up, and this is something that annoyed the shit out of me about this couple, is every time she would wake up and hear something, she'd be like, Carlos, Carlos. And he'd be like, oh, it's my turn. I'll go take care of it, like, if the kid was having, like, yeah. issues. And then he'd go roll over and go back to sleep, and so she'd actually be the one doing everything. Very annoying. Um, but she, like, tries to wake him up, and he doesn't really wake up and she hears these noises yeah that are followed by a huge bang yeah and but they can't figure creepy. out what it is yeah they have no idea so it sounds all ghosty and shit yeah so then we jump forward in time and it's six months later simone is still missing and there's like news things about him about how like he needs to take his medicine because you know he's ill and and it's a very serious issue that he's gone and he doesn't have his medication with him and so she's kind of like Morning, and she goes to like a grief counseling thing and she's like no no my son's alive and she's you know not she hasn't given up on him at all yeah um and so they're driving around they're driving home from the grief counseling thing and she sees bernina or benina yeah um benina is crossing the street in front of her and so she gets out they're at like a the crosswalk and so she Mm -hmm. gets out of the car and she's like benina who turns around and looks at her and then immediately gets hit by a huge bus oh my gosh it's such a fake out you're like oh she's gonna get her and then she just gets like demolished and then yeah um but she's pushing a stroller and everyone goes and they rush to check on benina but no one checks the stroller except for laura and laura Mm -hmm. like pulls out the stroller and it turns out she was pushing around like a baby doll creepy that had the same outfit fit as Tomas like the same mask and dress thing yeah and so now that they know where Benigna is because she's dead oh and she her like jaws ripped off yeah. and like there's this really kind of gross scene where Carlos because he's a doctor is trying to do CPR and he like comes up and his face is covered in oh, blood god. from doing CPR and it's we see just up. oh my god it's so bloody and gross but they um look into Benigna's home and her past and all that stuff and they don't find uh Simone but what they do find out is that she used to work at the orphanage yeah like they bring in a picture of the orphans and show it to Laura and she's like well that one's me and, and those like, are cool, all my that's friends Benigna right behind you yeah, and it so, turns out she wasn't there for very long. No, because she worked there and she had this son named Tomas. Uh, and this kind of reminded me of uh, Friday the 13th, actually, to bring it back around to our first episode. Because she is a person who works at the uh, at the place oh, yeah. where all of the bad shit goes down. And she has a son who is deformed. And the other kids make fun of him. 
And so she kept him like covered in a sack, like a, a mask over his face so that they wouldn't see him and they would make fun of him. And at one point in time, they bring him out to the lake or to the um, cave by the, by the beach to play with him. And the kids stole his mask. And so he wouldn't come out. So he wouldn't come out of the cave. The cave ended up, um, the tide came in and he drowned in that cave. I yeah. So it's literally the same exact thing that happens to Jason, more or less, in oh, Friday the 13th. Is yeah. that it's a different reason. Like, they aren't off having sex, so he drowns. But he still is a deformed kid whose mom works there who then drowns. And then she goes on like a weird... That's so interesting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um... But yeah, so we find all that out and there's like a lot of videos. We see that Tomas actually was in a separate part of the house from yeah. everyone else. He um, was like downstairs in like this weird little creepy spot. Yeah. Yeah. And so they decide they're going to bring in um, a medium. Yeah. I think another couple, I think it's not, like it's another couple months later. Yeah. After and she this. like goes to see like a psych, a paranormal investigator type of guy. Yeah. See him speak and he recommends this woman. And so we bring her in and she um just comes into the house and is going to ask questions of the ghost and try and figure out where simon is because laura thinks the ghosts have kidnapped him yeah um and pilar who's the police investigator is like this is insane and her husband is kind of like yep it's, it's crazy. really cool though what happens yeah so she's walking she goes into like this trance and is walking through yeah they hypnotize her so that way the idea is like if she can kind of like capture like echoes of the past and they have right. cameras set up in every room across the house and they have a map of the house and so they're drawing out like where she's going between all the rooms and everything like that and she's following what sound like children noises yeah and so she is hearing them at first and then as she gets closer you start to be able to hear them on the recording yeah until she gets to this one door which is like where all the children slept and she's like oh they're so sick like what's happening to them i Why think the door they... originally is like locked and she's yeah. like has problems getting in and then she gets in and everyone's like crying for help like please help us like yeah. we're dying we're sick yeah um and she asks like who poisoned you and it's clear that kids have been poisoned yeah and so it's, like, very freaky. She runs back out and, like, comes back awake and... And, well, so while she's in this room, she's freaking out. They're like, let's get her out of this trance. Like, this is, like, potentially dangerous. Yeah. All of the cameras in all of the right. rooms go staticky and you can't see anything, but you can still hear it. And so the paranormal investigator guy who's like works with her, he takes her out of the trance mm -hmm. and all the cameras turn on and she's in the original room that she started, which is like, I don't know if she had enough time really to get back. She there. didn't. And that's they, what like, makes it so creepy. As they're drawing on the map, they're like, they just do like a straight line all the way back to where yeah. she was starting. Cause she got there so fast and she's sitting back in her chair. And, and it turned out the people, the children who she saw were the other orphans yeah. who Laura had been with when they were children. Yeah. And so, Laura finds Laura's still looking around the place, right? Because she's still certain that something's going to happen, and she's still hearing these noises and these, you know, yeah, she's convinced that the house like is that. haunted. So at this point, the ghosts kind of start to interact with Laura a little bit more. She a hears banging more, noises, yeah. and it's all centered around her. Like Carlos doesn't really hear anything, but like she finds in a like a cabinet. Um, there's like this place that has a, like the dolls for all of the kids who used to be there, including Laura and like tucked under that stuff that nobody should have touched in a really long time. She finds like a photo of her and Simone. And so she starts to kind of realize that the house, like something is going on in the house. It's not just yeah. a, like a kidnapping, like there's some haunting stuff. And then the house starts playing the game with her. Yeah. So I think it's like the, kids are playing the same game that she played with Simon, where you have to go find the stuff. Yeah. And, um, 
so this photo, it turns out, was taken from a photo album. So she goes into the photo album, and there there's a dried flower, and she mm-hmm. goes out to the garden. So there, she's going all over the place, and ultimately she finds a doorknob. Yeah, and so she's, like, where... So she goes, and she checks every single door in this, like, house and cannot find a doorknob that's similar. And so she goes out to... The shed. The shed that she found Benigna in previously. Mm-hmm. And she's trying it there as well, and she still doesn't find a place that it fits, but she does find these sacks full of ashes... So what she finds, she's like, there are these locked up, it, it almost looks like a crematorium type thing. I think yeah. they're actually, it was like used for baking or something like that yeah. a long time ago. And so she opens these up and she's pulling out these sacks of what seemed to be flour. Right. And then she finds like a jawbone in one of them. And, and she's, she's like, like oh, oh my shit. God, please don't let this be Simone. Yeah. Um, but they pull out all of these sacks of ashes and some of them have like a brace. Some of them have a like the bones and all that and we're we figured out or and laura figures out that these are the ashes of all of the other orphans who she grew up with yeah and, and piecing it together figures out that the reason why benigna was there was to remove the proof of these children having been burned right so like she calls the police and they come and they're like oh boy this is like a whole thing like this is a huge murder. I don't know how no one caught on to this. A bunch of kids just went fucking missing and, and they were like, okay. They were orphans, so they didn't have family to come looking for them. I guess, but like, it was a state-run orphanage. Like, shouldn't... Was it state-run? Or was it run by the... I don't know who ran it. Either way, there was a governing body over it. Yeah. Someone should have noticed. Someone should have noticed. But apparently no one did. Um, And it turns out that... So what had happened was Benigna got revenge on the children for killing her son by poisoning all of them. And then burning their bodies. And then burning their bodies to hide the evidence. So Carlos is like, okay, I'm going to leave because this is way too fucking heavy. Laura's like, okay, I get that. But like, I can't leave because I think that there's something still going on in the house. I think it's going to show me where Carlos is or where Simone is. And he's like, okay, I love you. They say their goodbyes. They're not breaking up or anything like that. No, but he she, leaves and she wants stays. two nights. Yes. She's like, give me two more days and nights in this house and then I will come join you. Yes. And he says, okay. The f- relationship between Laura and Carlos is actually pretty positive for the most yeah. part. I really liked that it wasn't like some sort of like fucked up dysfunctional thing. Yeah. They, he's never like a dick to her or anything like that. They do get into some arguments around this time. Sure. And like, yeah, he's kind of doesn't like to get up in the middle of the night. But other than that, like <laughs> they have a pretty good relationship. They do. And so she basically sets everything up the way that it used to before. Yeah, she... Um, when the medium had come in, they talked about like bringing in an old piece of clothing and like an old piece of furniture because it would help tie back to the past. Yeah. And she wants them to come talk to her. Right. And show her where Simone is. So she brings out all the old beds in the, from the orphanage. She sets up the old table. She actually puts on the outfit that the adults wore at the orphanage. Like she's yeah. wearing that dress. She puts up, there's like a, a scarecrow outside that used to be up there in the first scene. And so she puts that back out. So it's like all of these little things to make it feel like it did when she was a kid. And so she sets up all like this whole meal for them and like puts all the dolls because each kid had a doll right she puts all the dolls in their chairs but they don't come they don't she's and like she freaks out trying to talk and she she's trying to talk to them trying to get them to come just nothing is happening she's like okay you want to play a game like i'll play a game with you so she goes upstairs and they start playing the, the one two, two three knock, knock on, on the wall, wall which is one it sounds really cool in spanish like it does. when i i can't say it because i don't speak spanish but um just it's it kind of rolls off the tongue it does and and it works 
Yeah, the kids. Which is creepy. So she's like playing. You see her like with covering her eyes and doing like the one, two, three, knock on the door or mm. knock on the wall, whatever it is. And she'll turn around and like there's no one there. And she does it like three times. And then like a door opens and then like a kid is there. Yeah. So every time you we, she looks back, like the camera looks back and like, yeah, something changes and like these kids show up. And you're watching her do this and eventually it'll hand pops up and taps her on the shoulder yeah and the kids run away and i thought it was going to be like i was terrified of what was going to happen in that scene that was the scene where i was like so scared that like i did not want to watch yeah because it's just like the tension is so good but it actually it has like a there's no jump scare or anything no like that. that's what i expected but they run away and so she chases after them because that's the point of the game mm-hmm. and they lead her down to the cabinet under the stairs where the things had fallen out of like the big metal scaffolding had fallen out of when she first went looking yeah and so she like goes in and then the door closes behind her and then she opens it and then the door slams shut and there's a close-up and the actual the doorknob on this door is the same exact one as the doorknob that had been left for her in the game and she's like oh okay so she turns on the light and she's looking at the wallpaper and there's a seam and there's like a hole and it's clear that the there is a secret door hidden within the wallpaper. Yeah. And so she shoves all the scaffolding aside. She puts the doorknob in there, opens it and goes down into the basement. And it, it reveals this long staircase down into the basement. And that brings her down into Tomas's little house. There's like a little desk and there are drawings of all the orphans and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And then there is a bed with someone in it. And so she turns and she, she, opens it up and it's Simone in there and he's fine and she's like oh my god I'm so sorry and she takes him and she's holding him and she turns and walks back up to go up the stairs and so what she tells him is close your eyes pretend that they're not here like yeah say, like basically she's saying like please make the ghost go away yeah she's um, like yeah when we go up there just make it stop and the reason what the medium had said when she had visited is the reason why Tomas could see them and others couldn't was because he was closer to death than everyone else because right. of his, him being sick and so she's like just and so he's the connection to the to the orphans in the house. Yeah. So she's like, just pretend they're not there. Close your eyes. Believe that they're not there. Please just do this as a favor to me. And she goes to walk up the stairs and the blanket she's holding is now empty. Yeah. And then she turns around and at the bottom of the stairs, she notices that the staircase had broken up at the top and at the bottom is is simone's body yeah and so what we learn um through a series of flashbacks kind of like the here we're gonna put it all together for you right is that when she had searched for him he had been in that little room underneath the stairs and when she put the scaffolding back in she accidentally locked him in there and so when she heard and that night she heard all of the banging and all of the knocking and stuff like that and was trying to figure out what was going on um after they lost simone and she heard a big bang and then no more noise. That was him falling, like breaking the banister and falling down the stairs. And he like broke his neck and died. Yeah. And it's actually a little bit ambiguous as to how he died because his body looks very, it's hard to tell if he like fell and then starved to death, fell and broke his neck and died immediately. It is hard to tell. I think it implies that he fell and yeah. died from the fall, but it isn't a hundred percent clear. So she obviously is, I mean, devastated by yeah. that because that's like the worst possible outcome. Um, but she takes his body upstairs um, to the room where all the orphans beds had been and there are eight beds in there. Yeah. And she takes a bunch of pills. Um, yeah. She's crying, crying and taking sleeping pills mm -hmm. and she takes way too many of them. Yeah. So it's actually really beautiful. She's sitting there and she's crying, um, while taking the pills and talking to Simone. And then all of a sudden the 
Lighthouse comes on. Yeah. Which is, and as we said earlier, the Lighthouse had been active when she was a child, but it was not active anymore. Like, the light wasn't on. Right. And so, and she looks down, and uh, Simone is back with her again. And as she's, like, talking to him, the other orphans come into the room. Yeah, and they recognize her, and they're like, like, oh, she grew up. It's like Wendy, which is, they used to read Peter Pan when they were little Mm -hmm. kids, and... um, Simone talks about how he played his game and he never made his wish. And so his wish is that um, she stay with them all forever and take care of them. Yeah. And she, they all come, they sit at her feet and it's really nice. And Tomas is there too. Yeah. And so originally there had been six orphans when she was there. Um, but then plus Tomas and Simone. Simone, it fills up the eight beds. Yeah. It's so sad. It's, really, it's so sad. Yeah. So she has died, obviously. Yeah. Um, she is from an overdose of the pills, um, but she's going to be taking care of them in there. And then we see Carlos at a, like a tombstone or a memorial out in front of the building to Laura and, and, and all the orphans. Um, yeah. And Simone and all the orphans. And he goes inside uh, and he's back up in the bedroom, which is cleared out, obviously. Um, and he finds this medallion. He'd given her a medallion, um, when Simone first went missing, that's of Saint Anthony. I think, I think it's Saint Anthony. Um, Who is he's? I think the patron saint of doctors, but also of like missing people sense. and stuff like that. So he'd given it to her and said, like, you know how important this is to me. I'm not giving this to you. I am lending it to you, and you can wear this until we find Simone. In which case, you will give it back to me. And so and he it was like finds it. Yeah, because she had taken it off after she found him, and, mm-hmm. and it was just this whole movie is so devastating and sad. I feel so sad just talking about it. But he it ends on like an almost bittersweet note where he knows that they're still there in the place with him and he's like sort of happy obviously not all the way happy because his wife and child are dead but you know but now the children who had been poisoned by the person who was supposed to be taking care of them has like their dear friend who has grown up to take care of them forever yeah and that's the orphanage and it's so sad and i know from our descriptions it doesn't necessarily sound like a scary movie it is a scary movie it is yeah because there's so much like the like finding Benigna in the coal hut and like finding the body parts and the children. Like it, there's a lot of really creepy moments. And the game where she's like the one, two, three, knock on the door. Yeah. That is a really tense and really scary scene. And yeah, I mean, it, it is a scary movie. It has a lot of these really heartfelt, uh, sweet moments as well, but like, it's, it's scary. It'll definitely freak you out a little bit because yeah. it's not clear until the end what's happening. You do think it's a haunted house movie. I mean, it kind of is a haunted house. Like there are ghosts. And I think that's also something that we talked about. That's super interesting is that we, don't know for sure like was it tomas who pushed laura or was it simone yeah it's like the implication is it was probably simone yeah because when she finds him he's wearing tomas's clothing yeah but at the same time we know that simone had seen tomas like that's how he found out about the room that's how right. he found it found the clothing exactly. if that was him in the outfit so presumably tomas is there as well and there are definitely other ghosts because we see the other children also, just, like, the design of Tomas's outfit is absolutely terrifying. Oh, my God. It's so creepy. That's one thing that's, like, we can explain to you that it's, like, a little kid in a sack mask. But, like, you got to look at the pictures or watch the movie because it is very terrifying. The design's a little reminiscent of uh, the trick-or-treat kid. Yeah, kind of. And it's almost got, like, a Leatherface type of vibe. And then it's very, it's very pale. It's, like, a white bag with, like, red and, you know, black markings on it. Yeah. It's really creepy. It's, but it's a really good movie. I highly suggest watching it. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, 
So in terms of like the concept and the creation of this movie, it was originally written in like 96 by Sergio Sanchez. Um, And he talks about some of his influences, which I think make a lot of sense when you like think about what they are. Like he talks about Poltergeist, The Omen and Rosemary's Baby as like movie influences on him. Okay, I definitely see Poltergeist because that's when she like the little girl connects with the ghost, and, like, right? And things. she goes missing. Yeah, so that and makes a lot like, of sense. It's way funnier though. Like Poltergeist is legitimately funny in a lot of places. Also, that was done by Toby Hooper, who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Did not know that. Fun fact: very different vibe. Very different vibe. <laughs> um, but there's like bringing in the the specialist who like points out what's going on. And there's the whole monitoring thing. I see a lot of of echoes of that. I'm a little surprised by the omen and Rosemary's baby though. Well, I mean the omen, there's like the adoption theme. That's true. And not fully knowing what's up with your kid that like tense, I guess it's not really a tense relationship, although they end up being like afraid of him. Simone has like his creepy moments, but he's not really a creepy kid. No, he's like a perfectly fine kid. He's He's not evil in any way. No. And Rosemary's baby. I mean, I guess it's the, weird neighbors if you count Benigni as kind of like a weird neighbor <laughs> I don't know I mean they're yeah the older neighbors I can kind of see maybe a Benigni connection there but maybe it's just the concept of like motherhood and parenthood as like a weird connection to all three of these don't the do discuss parenthood yeah I think that that's a big theme in horror that I hadn't really thought I, about in depth until we started talking about I this do, movie yeah I know because we were um so in watching this I was also kind of reminded of two other horror foreign horror movies that I've watched, which would be Goodnight Mommy and The Babadook, in the sense they're both about, like, motherhood and kind of on a scary turn of it. Yeah. I think it's interesting how that comes up a lot. Um, And it does come up a little more, I think, than fatherhood. But maybe it's just because we have, like, that social expectation that the mother is, like, the caretaker. And it's not always accurate, but... No, it isn't always accurate. And I think that there's a lot of depictions of motherhood being, like, this beautiful thing. And then to kind of turn that on its head and make it, like, terrifying in some way is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And even in this one where they're not, like, biologically related, but there's, like, she's kind of reliving her childhood with him there. You know, he's been adopted, but he's still, like, this kid who was an orphan at the orphanage it's sort of like a return to what they have in common and that like connection that they have there um and she gets out and he doesn't and that's sort of like a sad i'm also curious why i mean we have also seen like for example hereditary which we'll be talking about in a couple episodes yes um is also has a strong mother to daughter yeah but that's mother to daughter rather mother to son yeah but it is interesting that all three if it was goodnight mommy the babadook and um, this movie, The Orphanage, all three of them are mother to son specifically. That's true. Or sons in the case of Goodnight Mommy. Yeah. I also think it's interesting that you see this like strong concept of like this idea of grief sort of as the main monster. And in this one, it's not her that is, it's not her grief that is like the the scary thing really it's like that's what drives her to find him the whole yeah. time is that she wants to find him um but benigna's grief kind of makes her into this terrifying monster and it's the reason why she poisoned all those kids exactly yeah. and it's the reason why they're there it's the reason why he gets lured down in there like she becomes the true villain even though she doesn't do anything to simone like she's not there she doesn't really interact with simone but um she's still like it's her grief that drives what happens to him throughout the movie and I think that you see that in like Goodnight Mommy her grief over losing spoilers spoilers for all these movies just heads up like yeah. if you haven't seen them skip ahead um, her grief over losing one of her two sons is what makes her like 
hard for the surviving son to understand. And so that's why, like, he and his ghost brother decide that she's, like, she's been replaced. Was it a ghost brother or is it a hallucination? That's another thing, is it could be either. Yeah. I think I I actually read it as a hallucination, but it's interesting that you read it as a ghost. I think it could go either way. I think that that's a big thing in, like, haunted house movies where it's, like, someone, like, like... Even in this, those children, now that she knows that they're dead, they could be hallucinations. That's you true. Know, she could just be following. She could have gotten stuck in that cabinet and realized. I mean, and, same like know. when she was running through the water and she breaks her ankle. Like, we don't know for sure if that, do we, does she see a ghost or does she hallucinate? Because exactly. um, when she's at the grief counseling in the movie, um, Laura talks about how she saw her son and everyone in the room was like, we have seen our children since we Yeah. And those them. are all people who's like, their kids are definitely dead. Yeah. So that is something that's interesting is like with this kind of thing, it's like, especially in something like the Babadook, mm-hmm. the implication is that like the Babadook is really just a manifestation of the mom's inability to grieve for her dead husband. Yeah. And she can't like deal with her stuff. So she can't have a healthy relationship with her son who is also grieving for the loss of his father. It's like, so it turns into this bigger the thing. The Babadook is just a metaphor. The entire movie is like a metaphor. Oh for, my like, God. Depression. Dude. And for real. it is so good. It is so terrifying. Yeah. I need to rewatch really that. It has been a while since I watched the Babadook. It's, I should oh. not watch it alone. No, definitely again. don't. That is don't not a movie watch to watch alone. alone. <laughs> Especially the first Why time. Why would you ever have done that? That's a terrible idea. Um, because I wanted to watch it and no one wanted to watch it with me. I get you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to see how like that's sort of become a theme recently. And you kind of see it in, in things like, I mean, I guess in Rosemary's Baby, you can imagine the baby as being like, you're always afraid that something's going to be wrong with your kid when you're pregnant. But like, it's not as overt of a theme as it kind of becomes more recently. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like you mentioned with Hereditary, that's, she's grieving for her mother and their weird relationship and she doesn't know how to deal with her child who's kind of weird and. Yeah. Yeah. Motherhood, man. Crazy thing. Modern horror is not really prepping me to be a mom someday. (laughs) Um, luckily there are other books to like do that and shit. Yeah. Are you saying that I shouldn't watch Rosemary's Baby to prepare for childbirth? I mean, if you want to give birth to like an antichrist, then yes, you I should. I do. Okay. So then yes, that actually okay. is the best right, movie to perfect. watch. Great. That's for great. For tips. I'm um, getting him to watch it too. <laughs> okay. You're talking about moving into a haunted house. Just make sure there's some creepy neighbors. Oh, perfect. That's great. And you'll be in good shape. Yeah. Um, but outside of horror is influences for him there are a couple other things that influence this movie too right? yeah so um i think there's a lot of gothic horror elements to this movie like obviously there's there's like the big house there's the ghosts all of that kind of stuff and one of the gothic horror like stories that kind of inspired um biona is the turn of the screw i don't know anything about the turn of the screw so i haven't read it it's on my list i haven't gotten to it yet i didn't realize until fairly soon before we started recording like way too soon to read it so i haven't read it but um Basically, the main concept is it's about, like, a governess trying to protect the children under her care from, like, a creepy house is my understanding. And oh, that's cool. There's a lot of, like, ambiguity as to what's actually going on, and it's very creepy and, like, all that sort of stuff. I definitely thought it was, like, a complete... I think I just associated it with, like, The Grapes of Wrath or something like that. <laughs> no, it's... I, uh, I had no idea it was a horror much, movie yeah, or a horror book. It's much creepier than that. Um, so J.A. Viona mentions in this interview that he does with Filmmaker Magazine um, that this was an inspiration on Sergio Sanchez, who's the writer, um, and he talks about... Um, 
Sergio Sanchez's relationship with Turn of the Screw, and he says the first time that he read Turn of the Screw, he was an eighth grader, and he didn't understand anything. But he kept reading it every year. He was kind of obsessed with that. And then he discovered that there was nothing to understand, that it's the reader who puts their interpretation on the story, which is such an important like thing about horror is that so much of it in good horror is completely left up to the imagination. Like even with something like hereditary, you walk out of the movie theater and you're like, well, what the fuck was that? How much of that was real and how much of it was a hallucination? Yeah. And you know, a 24 also did the witch and it's the same thing where it's like, did she just lose it or did that all really happen? And with this, it's like, like we talked about how much of that was her actually seeing those ghost children and how much of it was like her, dealing with the grief of losing her son and accepting the fact that he was actually gone and ultimately finding his body by doing like another thorough search. Yeah. And I think, because we've talked a little bit about the idea of movies that have multiple interpretations. Um, I think The Witch was our favorite recent one that we've seen. Yeah. We talked about how like you can just literally take it in two different directions and it could be all like in our head or whatever. Um, And how you, sometimes when you think about like, for example, the Rugrats example where it's like, oh, they were all like dead babies yeah and, except for one who was like dealing with the fact that they're all dead or something. it was there's some sort of weird creepy dead baby there's a rug creepy dead theme. baby version like every child show there is like some um, theory that you and know. i think those are really kind of annoying because like they're it's obviously not true and i right. don't understand and so whenever it's like oh but it was all actually in their heads and this is the theme and it's just i get annoyed by those but in horror it's done really well a lot yeah. of the time i think my annoyance with that is that most of those are based on something that is not at all in the actual text of the work that you're yeah. looking at where it's like you can look at that and be like oh wouldn't it be interesting if this was that and this was that but I feel like most of those are presented as like oh I figured out what the Rugrats is about and it's like no, no. you obviously did not <laughs> the Rugrats is about a bunch of little fucking babies running around like yeah. that's it that's what it's about you know a hundred percent but horror does open that door for you and you're supposed to look at it that way you know it's, I love it when it's done I hate it when it's done badly I love it when it's done well yeah And one of the things that he talks about in terms of, like, a gothic horror thing is that he strips away all of the, like, additional things that give you more context. Like, all of the other characters and all of, like, the, you know, the outside world and stuff like that. And it literally just ends up being, like, instead of, like, the additional context of, like, other people seeing things or not seeing things or things like that, is that you're left with just this one woman alone in the house. And so you don't know what is she a reliable narrator probably not she's like really deeply in the throes of grief she's gone through all this terrible stuff i think the only thing that makes it seem like this is actually a very supernatural story is the medium coming in and hearing the children on the recording and then like the tv's all going like staticky that's true but then even after that happens the husband or i forget whether it's the husband or whether it's the police psychologist but they're like well she could have come in like they could have faked it all. They could have faked all of this stuff. You have like her people I think it's the husband things. who says it and she's like, oh, have you been talking to Pilar? Mm, yeah. Like, is that her theory? Yeah. That there is still, even in that sense, ambiguity. And it's That's not true. like something like Poltergeist where you literally, they open the door to the bedroom and like the bed is flying all over the place. Yeah. Like, or there's like a clown trying to kill. That's that right. clown was terrifying in Poltergeist. Everything is Poltergeist gets scary. Poltergeist gets is scary. really scary. It gets really funny in a lot of parts, but it gets scary when it gets scary. I honestly don't remember the humor. Maybe I was too young it's to just understand that, like, it. little short lady who comes in. And yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's very tongue-in-cheek in a lot of places. It is. Like that. I think it was like one of the first horror movies I watched. So I oh, yeah. think that I didn't understand it I being tongue-in-cheek. I think it's easy I... to get focused on the scary parts yeah. and kind of ignore the other parts. Um, so... 
the way that this all got made is interesting to me um peter pan yes um and then one of the other things that inspired him aside from turn of the screw was peter pan and that's something that they kind of they bring it into the movie yeah Yeah, they talk about it and how the idea of wendy growing old and how her son or wendy's children child i don't know i haven't actually read peter pan um I've seen the movie. At the end, yeah. It's At a, the end, she grows up and her kid is who goes back to Neverland. And so right. she grew up and her kid went to go join the other Lost Boys. Yeah. And the Lost Boys who live at the beach. And... But it's like the saddest possible version because <laughs> this, instead because of them running away dead. from their carriages, they all like got poisoned and then burned. Yeah. But he <laughs> talks about how they're like the Lost Boys and yeah. they're, all, they're all lost. They need someone to take care of them. Yeah, Which is comes... one of the reasons why Peter Pan actually wanted Wendy to stay was so she could take care of the boys. Exactly. And that's kind of what he, what her kid does is that that's his wish. It's that someone will come there and help and take care of all of these kids who need someone and the one person that was supposed to take care of them, like you said, is the person who hurt them. So something we didn't explicitly say while talking about the movie um, that I wanted to bring up because it kind of fits into this also so is that Simone, I think, was the mom's treasure that was stolen by the kids. And so they're trying yeah. to get the game. And so when she finds him, she wishes to bring him back, basically. Yeah. Which she kind of gets by dying herself. Right. And so um, his wish comes true and that he gets someone to take care of him. And her wish comes true and that she gets to be with her son. It's so sad. It's so sad. It's really sad. Uh, but I realized that we that wasn't made explicitly clear when we right. were talking about the synopsis. Yeah, I get you. And so the way that this movie got made is kind of interesting to me. Um, so obviously Sanchez had, you know, taken all of these inspirations and he made this script in um, like 96 uh, and it didn't get made. People didn't want to touch it. Um, and he went on to direct this horror short called 7337. I don't know if there's another way that you're supposed to say it, but it's 7337. Um, and Bayona saw the short that he made. And he was like, wow, this is so cool. He went and talked to Sanchez and he was like, what else are you working on? And he showed him the script for the orphanage. And he was like, I can't get funding for this. You know, I, I don't know how it's going to get made. And Bayona, who had never directed a feature film before, was like, well, I want to direct this. And Bayona had another connection because he used to work when he was about 17 years old. He worked as a journalist at a film festival in which Guillermo del Toro was presenting a film. And so he'd asked him all these questions and he was so young that he kind of made an impact on Guillermo del Toro. And they stayed in touch. And so now he has this script with all of these horror fantasy elements to it. And he was like, there's that melodrama in it. There's this uh, mise-en-scene and like really strong detail and all that stuff. He's like, I think Guillermo del Toro might like this. So he brings it to him. And del Toro was like, hell yeah, let's do it. And so that's kind of, it's like this weird connection of like different people knowing each other's, you know, work and respecting each other and liking each other that sort of brought this script that probably never would have gotten made if Bayona had not gotten involved with it. Yeah. To the perfect executive producer. And I mean, to think about this this is the first time he directed it. This is like the writer hadn't done a ton of writing before he made this 19, this in 1996. Right. And this movie was so good that when it was at, it premiered at con and at con, it got a standing ovation for 10 minutes. Like people just, it was, it's actually a, like unbelievably good movie like i was so surprised i thought it was gonna be a fun like kind of scary movie i didn't realize just how good and personal and like heart-wrenching it would be it really is i mean it's very emotional um and i think that that's so we talked about this kind of as a gothic horror and as you know all the different movies that have inspired it but at its heart it's a haunted house movie yeah i think so 
and we have not done a lot of haunted house movies on this no, podcast. No, we did the Amityville Horror, which neither we of us did liked. did not like. And I think that's it, kind of, right? Have we done any other? The Grudge is kind of a haunted house movie. That's true. Okay. Um, but it follows you around. It's kind of like a cross between like a poltergeist and a haunting. Yeah. Um, in the sense that it follows, it like sticks to a specific person. Right. And it goes after them. So it isn't really a haunted house, but there is a house that drives all of the action. Yeah. So I haunting. was trying to figure out why do I like this so much better than I like the Amityville Horror? Um, because it's a good movie. Yeah. It has a plot. <laughs> that is a big part. I think a lot of it is just how heartfelt it is, you know? I think, um, well, I can tell you the reasons why I really didn't like the Amityville Horror is mm-hmm. it was, I think because it was supposed to be based on a true story. And like, if you're actually living in a haunted house, there isn't necessarily a plot driving you living there. Right. Um, and so it's just like a lot of things that happen and it's scary and they get out of the house, but there isn't like a story. Right. Um, I think this one is good because of the fact that it has a story, but that story also, I mean, it could have been done badly. It could have been a bad story, but it's a really good story. Yeah. I think there's also like a simplicity to this that works really well. Like we were talking about, you don't see a lot of, like you don't see anything ooze out of the walls no. and nothing is spinning around and flying all over the place. It's just like, it could be just a child trapped in the walls trying to get out. You know, yeah. it's something as, 100%. as simple and as, yeah, I don't know. Something as simple and as sad as that gives it these stakes that like you don't really have in the Amityville horror. You're like, we'll just leave. Yeah. Why don't you just leave? And in this one, there feels like there's a drive for you to stay there. A hundred percent. And it just, I don't know. It felt so much richer than a lot of haunted house movies feel to me. Um, yeah. And I thought it was beautiful. I do too. Yeah. So overall orphanage, final Amazing thoughts. Movie. I loved it. I think everyone should watch it. Um, watch more foreign horror. Yeah, I want to watch more foreign horror. The problem is most of the time it is so much scarier than a lot of domestic horror that I have a hard time watching it. Yeah. So Goodnight Mommy is one of the scariest movies I've seen. It's super creepy. It fucked with me so much. Yeah, the Babadook is fucked up. The Babadook was also just absolutely terrifying. And that's just like the other like well-received like high-end foreign horror. Like when you get into like... Asian torture porn type horror. It's fucked up. I dude. really want to watch Tag. Can we watch Tag soon? Yes. Cool. Not for next week though. What are we watching for the next episode, Maggie? Next episode, we are gonna do Firestarter. We're gonna do another supernatural type of vibe. We're gonna go back to a little more Stephen King. I am not going to read the work that it is based off of until after I've seen the movie. Yeah, that is uh the big thing that we have learned. I'm not doing this shit to myself again. <laughs> I keep doing it. it. I'm not gonna the do movie it. for it. I know, I hate it. Um but we're gonna get some relatively baby Drew Barrymore. Um yeah. it's gonna be exciting. We're throwing it back a little bit further. Um and then yeah, so we're looking forward to talking to you guys about that. Check it out um, before we come back around in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, have a couple of spooky times. Yeah. That enjoy was really it. weird. Have a couple of spooky times. Honestly, you should. You guys, I'm really tired. Have I'm sorry. one spooky time. Have two spooky times. Have all the spooky times A handful of spooky times. Yeah. And you know what? Drive safe. Text us when you get home, and we will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Goodbye. Bye.